So as we develop the practice, we begin seeing more and more clearly the negative effects of unrestrained action in body and speech. And we begin to let go of those causes of suffering in our lives while also building good within us, in our actions and what we say. From a chitta affected by darkness and defilement, uh, the chitta, the mind of a putujana or worldling, we develop the chitta or mind of a kalyana, uh, a person, a beautiful being. And slowly the kilesa within our hearts grow lighter and weaker. Yet we should not expect such transformation to occur too quickly as even a beautiful being like this, a practitioner, will still have kilesa present in the heart. We've lived with these defilements for an immensely long time and their giving up is affected in us little by little. Such giving up is something we bring about through our practice, our development of the mind, and through our use of a parikama or meditation object to calm and center the mind. When Longpur Cha advised me personally in my practice regarding an appropriate meditation object, he advised me to contemplate death. He said that whenever I had anger, liking, uh, delusion, the kilesa arise in my heart, that I should think about my inevitable death and remind myself that life, even though uncertain, leads to death, which is certain. Life is uncertain, death is certain. And that this path of contemplation of Mornanusati, contemplation of death, is the path to Dhamma. Whenever I felt good or got lost in liking, I would remind myself, you have to die. And whenever I got lost in negative emotion, I reminded myself similarly, you have to die. And by reminding myself constantly that at some point I would have to leave everything I knew, then I was following in the footsteps of what the Buddha advised, which was to not be careless and to think and reflect consistently on the fact that all of us must depart from this body and this life at some point. Such contemplation develops samadhi and calm over time 
initially this samadhi may occur quickly and in small stages. We call this sort of samadhi or lucid calm, kanika samadhi or momentary concentration. And if we practice and develop it regularly, then it can strengthen and develop. And eventually we may find that our bodies and minds grow light and buoyant. We may experience our mouths watering, our bodies feeling large, small, expanding, contracting. The mind may feel tight and gathered at one point. The parikama or word meditation mantra Budo may disappear. And all of these may be signs of the mind growing calm and peaceful. We may find that we just are with the breath and that our meditation object, our meditation word has disappeared. Sometimes it may even feel like the breath itself goes. And in such a case, we should not be afraid or worry. This is natural and a frequent experience on the road to samadhi. So this experience of samadhi is characterized by five factors, vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, and ekagata, that is directed thought and evaluation, rapture, pleasure, and one-pointedness of mind. And describing the first two factors of vitaka vichara or directed thought and evaluation it's important to realize that when based in the practice of samadhi these two qualities are not directed towards outside thought but rather just on our kamatana or meditation object for example the breath or the contemplation of death In the case of the contemplation of death, the vitaka vichara, the thought, may be what tells us or reminds us this life is uncertain, death is certain. And such thought, such directed thought and evaluation leads to a sense of dispassion and disenchantment with the world around one which in turn may give rise to a sense of rapture or pity, the third factor. And the mind taking joy and refreshment from its object becomes gathered around that object naturally on its own without effort from us. This is a, a deepening of samadhi. It's a samatha kamatana or concentration practice towards calm. The kilesa in such a state are suppressed and the mind becomes quiet. As we practice such a technique regularly, the five hindrances, sensual desire, dislike, sloth and torpor, doubt and restlessness and anxiety leave the mind and we 
begin to practice constantly. We put forth effort as we sit, as we walk, jangram, and even put forth effort to continue sitting for long periods when the body protests and hurts, when we experience great pain. Longpur Cha taught us to fight and confront Dukkha Vedana, or painful feeling. He taught us to fight or confront drowsiness in whatever way we we're able to. If we think we can sit through it, then we may try, but frequently we're not able to just dispel such drowsiness through sitting, in which case we may walk, jongram, walk backwards if that helps and if we are extremely fatigued. We may splash water on our face. All of these are instructions that the Buddha gave to Venerable Mahamogalana as he practiced trying to attain arahantship. His practice was successful. His effort paid off. In seven days, he attained arahantship. Sariputta, the other greatest disciple of the Buddha, and that foremost in wisdom, had more wisdom to develop, and it took him longer for that reason, 15 days, to achieve arahantship. These can serve as inspiration and inspire us to practice following our Kruba Ajans, our great teacher's instructions. The path is correct. That which they've taught is something they know from experience. Longpur Cha was an enlightened being, an arahant, and the method he gave us and expounded leads to that same goal which he experienced. So we should ask ourselves how well we're following what he instructed. How strong are our characteristics, our qualities of dana, giving, sila, ethics? How much samadhi have we developed? How much effort are we putting forth? We've ordained for the sake of nibbana. As we ordain, we repeat the words Sachi kar- Nibbana Sachi Karnataya Imankasawangahetawa, namely, for the sake of the realization of Nibbana, for the giving up of all dukkha, we take this robe. And we need to ask ourselves if we truly are putting forth effort in line with our determination. Are we trying to keep mindfulness in all of our postures? The Buddha taught a path to awakening. He taught Sariputta to see that all the five khandas or aggregates were just anicca, anatta, and dukkha, that is, inconstant, not self, and suffering. And when Sariputta saw that these five khandas, or name and form in a different way of speaking about them, nama rupa, 
were just this much, it was a cause for his awakening. We may reflect on this link in the cycle of dependent origination, nama rupa, name and form, and how it gives rise to the six sense bases which provide the condition for contact. The tongue tastes, the eyes see, the ears hear, the nose smells, the mind experiences mental phenomena, the body experiences physical impact. And we can look at the body and form in this way. Uh, we can break it down in this way. Or we can look at rupa, the body, form, as the four elements. Earth, air, water, fire. We may divide it into its different parts and see it as a suba, or not beautiful. We can see the outside unbeautiful aspects and elements of it, the hair of the head, the hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin. Or we may just know our breath going in and out. And this is the body as well. It's mindfulness of the body, the first satipatthana. We may know the body moving through all of its postures. We may remain aware of it in its various actions through the day of speaking, standing, remaining silent, sitting, etc. This is all the body, form, rupa. We may divide it into its different elements. The earth, which manifests in the bones and solid parts. The water element that manifests in our blood and liquid elements, the fire, which is the heat, the air, which is the movement and breath. Separating these out, the chitta becomes quiet. It realizes, it understands that the body has to pass and it sees its impermanence. It sees that the body is the, just these four elements, whether it is dead or alive. It is just this much. It is not a self, not a person, not a being. And such practice is essential. Furthermore, we see the causes for our current condition. We see the law of karma, cause and effect, that good action begets good results and bad begets bad. What blessings we experience in our lives originate from past goodness we have developed. And so too with its opposite, what difficulties we experience come from ne negative actions in the past. Reflecting in such a way, we see the importance of doing good, maintaining good actions of body, speech, and mind. This is how I thought as a layperson. I saw the importance of using what conditions I had to practice, and I meditated. The mind experienced rapture and great calm. 
And this was the result of previous practice, of previous action, previous kama. When I meditated, I'd sometimes feel a hand disappear or another hand disappear, my feet go, or perhaps I'd experience the whole body as absent. These were all aspects of pity or rapture. And as the pity grew, then pleasure or sukha became more pronounced in my heart, which felt full. This was what we call niramisa sukha, or non-material happiness. A happiness that does not come from external conditions, but rather arises from internal experience of samadhi, calm. As we become acquainted with this form of happiness, we can see clearly the damaging effects of not maintaining mindfulness during our day. How when the mind is allowed to run rampant, then when we sit, we can hardly bring it to calm. And similarly, we see that if we do put forth effort in our practice continuously through the day, for example, contemplating death, then the calm comes easily to the mind. And this is great benefit to us. We see as we walk through the world in our daily activities, the conventional nature of reality. We see the passing nature of all around us and our infatuation with the world, external conditions, fades. We understand that we are each walking towards our own deaths, that each life ends, and that it's impossible to find an essence in all of these external things and goals. The only true gain, the only true possession that we have, that we can take with us is Dhamma itself, the goodness we've cultivated, and everything else will fade. This dual vision of the benefits of practice and also the drawbacks of samsara gives us great enthusiasm for the practice because we can see its results. If we are not yet sincere and dedicated to the practice, it's because we haven't yet seen the results powerfully in our own minds. But even when the nivarana or hindrances are present, if we have sincerity and have seen at least some result, then we still have the presence of mind to apply effort and may find that the hindrances, even though initially present, fade due to our effort, that the mind drops into samadhi. And this can happen at unexpected times. For example, when I lived near Longpur Cha, I would frequently go to his kuti and listen to him speak on Dhamma. As I listened, rapture would arise, my faith would grow. And this was the paramita I'd cultivated in previous times that my listening to his 
Dhamma was enough to give rise to calm and wholesome states. But other monastics might more enjoy practicing alone at their kutis, walking, meditation, and sitting. And this is their own character. It's not better or worse. Just as the Buddha's disciples had different characters, so practitioners now do as well. Longpur Cha taught that as the chitta or mind becomes more refined, then it can see more and more deeply into that attachment which most of us are blind to initially, namely our attachment to the body. It begins to contemplate the body, and as it sees it as unbeautiful, the chitta becomes more and more calm. At times I went to great lengths for the sake of this contemplation, meditating in a cremation ground. I asked myself why I was afraid, but I was not able to answer myself initially and retreated into my glot or umbrella tent where I sat in meditation, the mind gathered and gained strength to the point where I was able to gather the courage to go outside and walk meditation in the cremation ground. And I asked myself what I was afraid of. The chitta suddenly saw, the mind suddenly realized that it also would have to die, that the body that it was residing in, my body, was no different than these skeletons. That when it died, it would be the exact same. That what fear I experienced was due to my subconscious attachment to the body and taking of it as a self and therefore not wanting to die. And so the skeletons and visions of death around me were a confrontation and gave rise to terror. But as it saw truth, the chitta, the mind became calm and quiet. It saw the body is not beautiful, and it became beautiful. It saw it as just elements and became unattached. It saw the body as a Nietzsche, Anatta, Dukkha, inconstant, not self, suffering and understood that what arises must cease. When the mind sees in this way, it also sees the Buddha in the heart, it sees the Dhamma in the heart, it sees the Sangha in the heart, and doubt disappears. It becomes more refined and understands that whenever attachment occurs, this is the equivalent of a new life, of taking on a new life and giving rise to a new world. Whenever dislike is bought into or attached to, similarly, it's as if we're taking new life, being born into a new world. So Longpur Cha says to avoid attaching or following our greed, hatred, and aversion, our delusion. He taught us to see the body is not beautiful. And just as a bag 
of urine, feces, of the elements, a current of air, fire, wind, small particles of earth, and that when we saw in this way, then rapture, pity, sukha, pleasure would arise and gather the mind to one point, ekagatai, the three latter factors of the five factors of samadhi. Our mind gathering into calm would be able to develop wisdom, see into the five aggregates and let go of its attachment or upadana. As such letting go occurs, we may experience strange visions. We may see the body explode, disintegrate, once, twice, or three times even. We may look at Vedana or feeling and see this is also part of the body or a part of name and form. Essentially, we see that the Buddha's 84,000 teachings all were to do simply with nama and rupa, name and form, and teaching us to see these two things as anicca, dukkha, and anatta in constant not-self suffering. So we must put forth effort in the practice, see the importance of doing good, develop morality, listen to Dhamma, no matter if we are a lay person or a monastic. When we're with others, we wake up early, we wake with effort, we put forth effort. And when we're alone, we do the exact same. We eat little, sleep little, speak little. This is the path that the Kruva Ajans have taught us. We try to avoid defall, falling into liking and disliking. We may speak with others around us, other students, about various skillful means they've used in their own practices. And this is a benefit of living in society, of living with others, community. But the heart of the practice and who we should take our advice most from is, of course, the Kruba Ajans, our teachers. They will show us how to contemplate Nama and Rupa in order to achieve awakening. We should reflect to arouse effort. How old are we now? If we live to 80 years, how long do we have? Even if we think we have quite a long time, we should reflect that in old age, it may be hard to practice, to walk and to sit may be painful. And so putting forth effort now is an essential task and to follow Longpur Cha's teaching, to develop patient endurance, to bear with mental impressions and moods, to strengthen our morality, to deepen our samadhi, to sharpen our wisdom. This is the practice and the core. And I hope all of you put forth effort in it and develop.